0: Welcome to Licensed Psychologist, Now What?, a podcast about the journey psychologists and psychotherapists go through as they reclaim their intuition and unleash their healing gifts while maneuvering getting licensed, life, and making a living. And although this podcast host and many of the guests are mental health professionals. The information provided is not meant to be a substitute for being diagnosed and treated by a licensed mental health, medical, and related professionals, or for supervision and or consultation purposes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Licensed Psychologist, Now What? This is your host, Dr. Lidiana Garcia, and I have the honor and privilege today to interview Dr. Jules or Juliana? How do you like people to call you? It's Juliana. Juliana. Yeah. Dr. Juliana Sanchez. And she's a recently grad. And today will be a really cool conversation about the journey of, because I was sharing with her right before starting recording this, that a lot of listeners, and when I was back in the journey, I would look up to the people that already were licensed, were already mated, quote unquote, and then it would create this distance from where I was, that it made me feel like even more like, oh my God, I'm not going to make it. So today we're going to talk a little bit more about the journey of becoming, you know, from a recent grad and a mama and with her own stuff going on and pandemic and all of that. And I know a lot of you are right now doing your practicums, internship, postdoc in the middle of this craziness, which I, you know. I salute all of you that are in the journey. So without any further ado, welcome, Dr. Juliana. Thanks for being here. Hi, yes. Thank you so
1: much, Dr. Lidiana, for providing this space and just, you know, amplifying representation. And you were actually one of the very first Latinas that when I went into my journey, if you recall, in one of the uh, Let There Be Loose in person when we were still, you know, pre-COVID three, four years ago, I grabbed a group of my colleagues and it was like, we have to go, we have to go. So you were definitely one of the very first that was like, there is people like me out there doing it.
0: Hmm, yeah, that event, I still carry it in my heart. It was so special. So many Thanks. things happened in that event that I'm still like digesting it, to be honest. And I Absolutely. remember, yes, no, it is so important to have people not only that look like you, but are doing things like, like you. Because even though we're both Latinas, the indoctrination part of graduate school can make us like become someone else, <laughs> become what the standard of a psychologist is. And sometimes we forget that when we joined this profession, we did it for a different purpose. So so yeah, like I'm so happy that there's more Latinas doing it and changing things and talking about holistic stuff. And, you know, that is not only that whole narrative of the evidence base, which a lot of holistic things are evidence-based, to be clarified, especially you did a dissertation on something, you know, so you have proof data. But that's not something that people talk about. So, yes, thanks for being here and talking about that. Can you share with us, with the audience, what was that that journey, like, for you, graduate school, mama? you know, going with your own medical and all of that. Yeah. I mean, everything
1: that you're speaking of just resonates, you know, with the condition in the conditioning academia and things like that. And just my journey in itself is kind of particular. And thankfully, I've just had immense full support by, you know, my colegas and by you and everyone else in our community. I actually started my higher ed. So right out of high school, I started community college and then I found out I was pregnant.
0: Oh, wow. So my
1: entire higher education has been as a mom. So that in itself has been a journey. And not only just as a student and a mom, but also I always kept a full-time employment. Oh,
0: wow. A full-time, full-time, like 40 hours? Full-time. Yes, 40 hours plus
1: at times. Yes. So, you know, it took, The village. It really took family to kind of, they really stepped in in that aspect of helping me raise my child, of me going to school in the evenings and my son being cared for by either my mother or my mother in law or even my younger sister at times. So they've been immensely, immensely helped. There were times my husband would also work long hours. So if I was at school on the weekends, it was his turn to parent full time and that, you know, on that day, things like that. And that carried on. I mean, we just got into the hang of it and it carried on into my graduate. And even now as my doctorate, I have another child. So we have two children. They are a little bit older than toddler age and and all that. I have a teenager and a preteen. So that
0: tends to help out in itself now
1: but nevertheless, yeah,
0: right? Yeah, because you were in school when there were toddlers and babies.
1: Yes, I was. My <laughs> undergrad was in school when there were toddlers and when he was a toddler. And then my master's, I was in when she was when she was a toddler and a baby. So that in itself has its own dynamics.
0: Absolutely. I can, I can only imagine I have a, you know, six year old and a one year old, and I can only imagine how tough it would be to do schooling. Absolutely. And writing a dissertation. I remember seeing you with your helping other, you know, fellow colleagues that were in the journey. Writing a dissertation is no joke.
1: Yeah. More importantly, I think in writing a dissertation, you know, it, it's something that you've never done before. And then we have a little bit of those, I would say, limiting beliefs. I know for some people it is imposter syndrome, it, it is very much so. There is some gatekeeping in certain levels of academia and aspects. What I try to put together closer to my dissertation journey was, especially once COVID did impact us and we were just all virtual, right? Even the brick and mortar schools were virtual and people were trying to just kind of adjust to all of that. I put together the Collective Resilience Virtual Library. It stayed open 24 hours, seven days a week, only because I understood motherhood. I wanted to, you know, it was open to Latinas. It was open open to Black, Indigenous, women of color. So it was just an area of space for moms. And it was very much like a library setting, you know, trying to make that connection with having our cameras on just to kind of combine with each other and still have that relativity to each other. There was moments that the kids would come through in the background, either on my end or their end, things like that. Uh, very much special shared moments along the way as well, you know, just carrying on in the chats, like the hurdles and also the celebrations. So that was very, very much of an experience. And more than anything, just despite of the what goes on paper, despite on writing the dissertation, I would say that support is imminent in completing a doctorate degree or any degree. Support really tends to, you know, help out and any resources that we're able to get out there and we're able to kind of show up and bring up to the surface, you know, the more the merrier.
0: I loved watching the whole journey. I never share that with you, but I would like see your post, see your journey. And I was like, that was so cool that you did like the collective resiliency library and all that to have people is like, you're always calling your village. your, you know, who is there with you? And when you graduated and you put the picture with your diploma or, you know, the gown or something, I remember being like, wow, like she did it. It took a lot. It took a lot and it was hard, but you didn't. I was here like celebrating you and so happy.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I greatly appreciate all the support, the messages. It's always heartwarming, you know, that we think we're, despite of when I bring up support, There is a network and everything, but still we're doing it on our own with our family, with our children, kind of, you know, witnessing along the way. And there were moments that it's like, oh my goodness, it's just not going to happen or setbacks or living with invisible chronic illness, you know, trying to manage practicum, internship that come along with like a psychological degree, because it just seems like there's so many hurdles for us to jump through where it's like, how much do you really want this degree? And how much can you prove to the licensure board that you can, you know, uh, hold this degree, right? Along with at the same time, reminding myself of, you know, in the sense of listening to my ancestors and not being so much conditioned into the academic spectrum of Western society where it was like, you know, it was a lot of leaning. It was as to, you know, the pendulum kind of swifting back and forth at times and just centering myself in that aspect. But definitely keeping in mind of the why. Why am I doing this? What's the importance of it? What will it do? What do I, I want to accomplish with this, right? And many times it felt very overwhelming. And other times it felt like no one's going to read this. This isn't going to impact anyone. Right. Like, no, it's just things that come through through the grapevine that we have to work the those little, you know, knits and bits out.
0: Yeah. No, thank you for sharing. Do you mind wanting to share a little bit about the chronic illness part in terms of how you managed it?
1: Yeah. So again, reaching out to I think finding my voice in that in itself as well, because when it comes to employment. I just dealt with it on my own. I would carry my little I have like a bunch of these little bags and just, you know, I would be they would say I would be a walking pharmacy, and not in the sense of pharmacy, but it was more of like I had the teas, I had the pain patches. I just had a lot of holistic, you know, remedies because when when living with chronic pain, pain anxiety is definitely in the forefront when it comes to leaving the house. And also because If I leave my home, that's an extension of my comfort, right? In my home, I know that if something starts to ache, I can have the resources and the tools or have my toolkit. So I would have to kind of carry a little, you know, first aid with me. And that kind of just extended into academics. So one of the good things in academia was that I also found others who we also kind of in the same situation, possibly a little bit more visible than mine and, you know, less aching or less pain, uh, just a different scenario and situation. But nevertheless, still, you know, a disability. So reaching out and voicing and just kind of, you know, finding myself in that and voicing, advocating for myself when it came with professors, as in, is it OK to record? the session? Is it okay to get extra, you know, can you give a little bit more breaks than usual, right? And the good thing that my institution had was a, like a little student room and they had a few couches and tables and things like that. So my colleagues would like sit in the table while I would rest in the couch, you know, and just take those extra minutes or take an extra restroom break and just kind of center myself and see what I had in the toolkit or my first aid to get me through the day.
0: Yeah. Wow. And how was that for you advocating? As, you know, being raised as a Latina woman, how was that for you advocating? That was difficult. And it is still something that
1: I am learning because even now as seeking for a, you know, in the entire path of seeking for practicum, seeking for pre-doc and seeking for post-doc, Especially with my postdoc, it was very front and center because since I did want to work directly with pain management patients, it was like, how do I, you know, convive that not only am I a researcher, but I have identified markers that relate to the population without me divulging too much of myself, right? Right. And and how will someone receive that? Right? How will a potential employer receive that? Because There is a lot of stigma around invisible chronic illness in regards to chronic pain and just in general, you know? So yeah, that in
0: itself. The profession is very much, especially, I would say, besides graduate school, being very much not taken into consideration or making adjustments in general, pre-doc and post-doc, I would say even post-doc, like like those organized post-doc that are usually like two years, they're like basically to get just sick, even if you're not sick, you're gonna end up with something because it's ridiculous the amount of work that they ask this happens and applies to to um residents in the medical field it's they're asking, and they're quote unquote taking advantage of so many things for you know for free from the intern or postdoc, and then the fellow postdoc fellows, they're doing it because they want to get their license, they want to get the title, they want that certification, because there's so many promises of what will happen after you complete that. So it's like a ritual of passage that a lot of people do. And it's ridiculous the amount that we're asking for people to do free or for a very, very little pay not taking it's like it's built basically for people that are being supported mostly like no children or something or they have like all the support child care lots of money because when you're going to school it's hard also to work 40 hours or something a week so you have like six years of your life or seven or more that it's devoted to the school <laughs> to get a diploma and then a lot of the jobs that are offering for Recently graduated psychologists are ridiculous. They're not even in the six figures. Yeah. So, you know, especially for us first generation academics
1: in higher ed, financial stability is really difficult to come by. And even for myself, I tried working and doing practicum and kind of even bouncing that around, and that kind of didn't really work. And my chronic pain comes from my previous employer. So I had to make that decision. You know, it's, it's either you move on with your dreams and your passion, or you hold on to that financial stability. Right. And also trusting, trusting myself. I've always been very independent. I'm a first daughter of Mexican immigrants. So everything was, you know, way always weighs heavy on me in that aspect when it comes to family dynamics. So being able to have that trust in my partner and in my husband, as you know, when he would tell me, like, we got this. Worry about getting that degree and the children and doing what you need to do and the finances. You know, I'll I'll deal with. So even entrusting with that was, you know, I I had to kind of process and come to understanding that it's okay to get help from others. It's okay to for others to lend you, a, you know, a branch of assistance. I know a lot of my peers were just living off loans, you know, and at some point it maxes out. I myself had to, you know, recruit to loans and nevertheless, thank goodness they're there. But it does put a big, heavy debt on it, right? Because now it's, well, now you need to work and not only get licensure and pay for the licensure fees, and go through that and everything. But now there's a debt that needs to be paid back. Then again, I've always seen education as an investment. I've always been one right, to say, right. you know, everything can be taken away from me except my education. So for me, particularly, education has always been an investment. But yeah, nevertheless, you know, le- nevertheless, the financial impacts that we see all along. And then not only that, the toxicity that goes on within even psychology as a field, right? The mental health field. Yes.
0: The mental health field in general and psychology field, it's so, there's a lot of toxicity in it. There is a lot of advantage. And
1: I would say, especially more so for women of color. I think we kind of just have this kind of light that it's like, that's a mom, she's responsible. She's going to get the job done. And everything's kind of, you know given to us as a responsibility. So even learning with my own peers, having to, once I did my pre-doc, it was like, okay, hold on, things are changing. I'm not doing it all myself. We're delegating some things and people are going to be held responsible because we're all adults. We're all in that, in this same path. So that was definitely something that
0: I learned and strengthened my backbone in as well. That's amazing. Being able to voice things out, to advocate for what you need, to organize in your house, to ask for help. All those things are nuggets that people need to learn, you know, not need, but would benefit from learning, especially as you're embarking into something new. What would you say was one of the hardest or recent obstacles in this journey? One of the hardest
1: obstacles in this journey um, was losing my mother-in-law. Yeah, losing her and we knew it was coming, but just the act itself, you know, the the passing and kind of going through that while at the same time moving forward with my dissertation. A week after her passing, I proposed my dissertation and yes, oh, nice. it was all celebrations and everything. And, you know, I had people that were like, Let's go out and eat and let's go out and celebrate. And it was like, No, I I'm grieving, you know, I'm These parts you tend to have to compartmentalize in that aspect and allow them to surface when needed. Because I've also given a lot of that. Just this morning, my husband she used to love gardenias, and for some reason, just this morning, I smelled gardenias, and we don't have any gardenias at home. You know, so visited. Yeah, she visited. She's been visiting me a lot more lately, and you know, I really hold on to those kind of little nibbles, very near and dear to my heart. So yeah,
0: that was an obstacle. Thanks for sharing it. And, yeah. you know, it's a part of the journey for being a mental health provider, psychologist, psychotherapist, when you have your own stuff going on, your own losses, you know, it's like people sometimes think that we are shielded from all, you know, life stuff, you know, issues with our children, issues in our partnerships. If we have partnerships, issues with our parents and life issues, health issues, we're human. We're human. And especially this year, well, year and a half of a pandemic that we're all being touched in a certain way and then treating people that are also going through it has been really hard. Yeah,
1: I, I would say so, especially, you know, in the chronic pain arena or um yeah. We talk about having to mask outside of our homes and putting on that armor. And it was a moment that I'm like, no, I'm not carrying the, an armor. This is very heavy. I'm not. I still do the mask because I believe we right. all do. Right. To some extent, I wouldn't yeah. go out in my morning bun to work. Right. Yeah. Like that, right. But to some extent, we all do masks. But in regards to putting on that armor, even just considering it, it feels already heavy. And it's like, no, we are human. I've had so many experiences just in the training weeks of my postdoc because I'm still waiting for my associate's number from the board. So just in my training weeks, and not not directly seeing clients, but being there to kind of facilitate and assist and just learn and absorb. I mean, it's brought up moments of you know, there's Spanish speakers that are like oh my goodness, you speak Spanish. I can't wait to work with you or I can't wait for you to start providing services because yes, the iPad and the translator help, but there's nothing like someone, you know, having that kind of ventral vagal response when you're talking to them in their native tongue or in their native language. Same thing with, you know, chronic pain in general. There's certain things that are said that I know aren't meant to be said, but just because people don't experience or don't understand the debilitating symptoms or the complexity that comes with chronic pain, it's not just the chronic pain, it's chronic pain in addition to a whole spectrum of symptoms that come along with it. That is that we're able to, you know, give that empathy that people are looking for. And not only that, but it's reciprocated. And if we can't make that connection, we're not healing the nervous system that way. You know, we're not, it's like that teacher to student. They're just grasping, but if they're not learning and they're not able to take it in themselves and kind of torque it in their own way for what works for them, then what kind of work are we doing in general?
0: (sighs) which gives you know it's a great segue for what would be a message you would give to someone that is right now you know in graduate school or getting licensed and in that journey and is also experiencing either chronic pain or chronic illness what is what would be a message that you would give them my message
1: would be find your balance find your balance find your voice Yes, because there is some toxicity, especially in the mental health field, learning to advocate for yourself, learning to find that network of support where if it's not centered in academia or where it's not centered in a pre-doc or a post-doc, it's still within that realm of people that can relate to you. And, and most importantly, finding that balance, finding you know little nibbits within the day of rest, Rest is so important. And because we get into this hyper mode of I got to finish, I got to keep going, I got to do the dissertation, you know, we get kind of stuck up there as to what's next, what's next. And there's that moment of having to regulate our system as to bring ourselves into that mode of, you know, rest is needed because otherwise, how can we recondition ourselves for the next event or for the next hurdle? We tend to call these dissertation chapters, like these kind of hurdles, you know, that we're kind of overcoming, which each draft or which each chapter or which each editing changes. And then also finding time that goes along with balance, especially someone with family, finding that balance, right? You will get there eventually. You will get there, you know, at, in your own time, in its due time, right? Because we tend to kind of also what I have mentored a few people that say, well, my institution has a three-year plan. And I tell them, yes, that's for someone who's financially supported. That's for someone who has no children. That's for someone who A through Z, right? And when they don't see themselves in there, they're able to detach to say, oh, shoot, well, I might be able to, you know do it all within that time frame and if I'm not it's still okay because it's not the fact of stopping you know there's still that leg way that we're doing to get to that moment I added an extra 6 months to my you know degree so and I'm okay with it I'm okay with it because of everything along the way and along that I was still being a mother I was still balancing checkbooks. I was still, you know, taking care of my own mother. And being okay with that tends to do, tends to come along with
0: it too. And what helps you to be okay with it? Because I bet there's people listening and be like, but, 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 but I want this. Or, you know, there's so many buts in it. So what helps you, what helped you and continues to help you to be okay that is going to take longer and even to ask for those things? That's a
1: really good question. Support. Again, I go back to support, calling my, you know, my amigas and being like, Hey, this is what's going on. And just, you know, them allowing me to vent and and release and getting that feedback and vice versa, you know, then we, then we do the inner exchange and kind of just putting that out there and not even not holding it into the body. One of the things that have been helpful for me have been things like yoga and stretching, meditation, definitely taking those moments of relaxation, kind of Epsom salt baths are a very big one, especially for, you know, living with chronic pain and then also connecting with the ancestors, right? Because there's moments that I want to run and I'm hearing it's not your time yet you know and it's okay to hear that
0: so what i've been hearing you say is also like like a very much more of which some people might say feminine energy you know masculine energy but it's like kind of like allowing to do more from a soul led like you're being guided in it you're not solely just following the steps for something there's a higher like how i'm hearing is it sounds like there's a higher purpose of why you're doing this absolutely i
1: I went into getting my doctorate degree with guidance and kind of the blessing from the ancestors because it was like, okay, I have this gift. What do I do with it, right? I can't just leave my job. And unfortunately, I still have bills to pay and all this and all that when it came to managing my chronic pain and just finding that functioning along with it um, to not having to use, you know, psycho pharmaceuticals or any pain management medications. And it was all guided by the ancestors. So anytime I felt anxiety, anytime I felt kind of like, you know, the depression coming on as to why am I not done yet or why I'm not, you know, where I would like to be yet. It's always having that conversation and and going deeper and meditating on it and just allowing the ancestors to, to provide guidance there.
0: And what's your favorite way of connecting with your ancestors? Do you have like an ancestor altar or meditate? Like, can you share a little bit about that?
1: I do. I do. I have, I have a altar for just for guides and ancestors. And then I have another altar that's dedicated for family. And one of the differences that I find in my altar, because everyone's altar is very much different. So I keep the two altars separated, the one from the guides and the one from the ancestors or, you know, family that has passed just because there, I do feel that there is somewhat of a different connection there. But I also keep like my family pictures in that same altar because I tell my children just because they have, you know, passed the, that curtain to the other side doesn't mean that they're not very much still with us. And it's also keeping their memory alive. And it's also remembering that there were people, you know, they did have a human body and they're always with us, nevertheless. So also instilling that into my children for me is very important.
0: I love, love. I feel like we could go there. (laughs) That could be another podcast Um, (laughs) interview in terms of ancestor healing and all that. But as I'm looking at the time... (laughs) let's go into the fire round questions. Uh-oh. So I'll, this is like a complete the sentence test <laughs> from psychologists. <laughs> my unique and special gift is
1: intuition. I get that a lot, even from my supervisors. They're like, there's just something that's not at eye level and you tend to grasp. You just, you have this kind of thing to you that it's like, It's there, but it's not an eye view site, and you just pick it up.
0: Healer. (laughs) That's what they need to say, but they won't say that. (laughs) They're going to be like, oh, yeah. Okay. (laughs) I am reclaiming. I am reclaiming my voice. Very much so. I no
1: longer subscribe to. I no longer subscribe to
0: Western ideologies. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) If my ancestors would speak, they would say I've been hearing
1: them constantly. So they sometimes tend a lot to say they want to say a lot of things. But if my ancestors would speak, they would say they would say I'm proud of you. And they would say for who anyone who's listening, allow yourself to open that gate because Closing those gates have come from colonization. Closing those gates are not of us. And they have so much to say to you. And it's also beautifully sound.
0: And last, my wish for you is?
1: My wish for you is to find your balance. Find what works for you. Because in anything that I have shared, I've shared because it has worked for me, so anything that may not, will be working for me may not work for you, but nevertheless there are there is that first aid, that toolkit that we can all put into our own little tool bag and you know find our balance.
0: Oh my God, that was so, so helpful. Ah, yeah, I feel like. There was some channeling done. I even received some of the messages. So thank you for answering some things (laughs) (laughs) for me. Can you share a little bit about where can people find you? Any current offerings or upcoming? So people can find me. I'm currently on Instagram as collective resilience
1: and my email, sanchez at gmail.com. And I'll be, We'll be setting up some offerings in the upcoming month for people seeking or currently in higher ed and not just pertaining to psychology, but also with and comes to like uh, a doctorate in education, a doctorate in philosophy and just construing a panel of mujeres, Latinas, you know, going through, you know, what we've all gone through and what we're all going through. And then for the chronic pain population. I do plan in the upcoming year to put a support group together. So yeah, that's up and coming. Mm. Yes.
0: Yeah, so go and follow Dr. Juliana Sanchez. She has, yeah, I feel like you have like a channeling gift and, you know, to touch and all of that. I look forward to continue seeing your growth and all your journey. I hope the licensure piece goes as smooth as possible and then you can get out of the system in a way because <laughs> so I I wish you all the well and thanks for being here and for sharing and for anyone that's listening all those um, information of contacting are in the show notes so if you were not able to write them down just go to the show notes there will be the link the hyperlink so you can actually access those right away and I look forward to you know seeing all the not seen <laughs> I don't even know how to say that. I look forward to continuing this conversation with Dr. Juliana and with other psychologists and psychotherapists in the next episode. Thank you so much for joining any last thoughts or any last messages, Dr. Juliana? I think more importantly, the message that I'm getting
1: is, is definitely for you, you know, from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for providing space. And for bringing representation, I know how hard it must be for you as having, you know, toddler age and a child within one year and then still doing private practice and then still putting podcasts together and being able to kind of bridge community. And in reality, it's that's what we do, you know. So for anyone out there who needs that inspiration, just continue threading forward. You know, we'll we'll all get there.
0: Thank you so much. I receive it openly. And until next time, everyone, bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Licensed Psychologist, now what? To make sure you don't miss any episode, make sure to subscribe via your favorite podcast player and to join our email list via our website. Lastly, I will appreciate if you would rate and review our podcast to help us reach more folks that can benefit from the information provided here. Until next time, bye-bye.